Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You have found the Shanty Pants Show. People ask all the questions that box you in. To classify your life with the stroke of a pen. Take those old rules, crumple them, and throw them out. We're burning that box right now. Hello, Shanny here. Although I am most often recognized for my ridiculously comedic fashion and makeup tutorials on my social medias, I also have a deeper side. I have been learning, growing, and recovering so much in the last couple years, and I'm thrilled to bring you along on my journey as I continue to break the mold that I've been living in for far too long. I am so fortunate to have the privilege of interviewing some movers and shakers who are encouraging my healing process through sharing their own stories. I'm honored to bring these stories to you all in hopes that you too can learn, grow, and heal, and also to remind us all that we are not alone. Welcome to the Shanty Pants Show. My name is Rachel Bernstein. And I am a credentialed teacher in general and special ed and a licensed marriage and family therapist and cult specialist. Uh, And I've been doing that work and that counseling work for about 31 years now. And I've done it in LA and in New York at different centers and now in private practice back in LA, but I work with people all over the world. And um, I'm the mom of three and a recent empty nester oh. uh, and um, have two elderly dogs who snore. I have to, I, I have to isolate their snoring sounds when I'm doing <laughs> editing for my yeah. podcast. And, uh, but it's very cute. It's um, adorable. And uh, I have a weekly podcast called Indoctrination that I started a number of years ago, just with some scribblings on a napkin that I think the House of Pies, which my dad had, mm. 
had owned many years ago. So I go, I go there to get centered and get some ideas and get his sort of encouragement um, by association. Um, and, uh, and really like my work a lot and have been doing some recent webinars and been trying to check out what is available to people online because there used to not be anything. And people right. also weren't as open yeah. to say I was in a cult. So having uh, the opportunity to be watching your videos just because I love your sense of humor. And oh. suddenly when you announced that, I thought, how interesting. I'd love to connect with her, but also what a good time that mm -hmm. you're living in that you get to say that. And people, because of the shows out there and and uh, articles and other things, they have a conceptualization of what that means. And it doesn't mean there's something wrong with you, which used to be right. just sort of the automatic response that something is strange about you as opposed to strange about the situation you were put in. Right. Yes. And that is definitely how we connected. And I love that, you know, the the power of social media. It's it's scary sometimes, but it's also amazing and beautiful when it brings people together. Mm -hmm. And I've definitely enjoyed meeting a, a large group of people that I now consider friends and I've never met in person and mm -hmm. um, you being one of them. And I just think it's so like you were saying, the, avail the availability of what's out there now, even as far as resources, it, it's crazy. Like I've been watching so many documentaries and there's so much out there where, you know, I never, and I look, it's funny because so many of them are pretty current. There are definitely some that were done, you know, many years ago, but a majority of them are, you know, pretty recent. Mm -hmm. So I think, yeah, it's definitely a new like era of this availability of resources and information about all types of groups. So I think it's neat that you have kind of um, taken well, it sounds like you've been in this realm for a very long time, 31 years, but you know, like you were saying, even just having the resources or meeting the people, it's just so much more um, readily available now. Yeah, um, it is quite incredible. Also having now a support group that I've been doing for mm -hmm. many, many years for the form for former cult members and people who have been in relationships with controllers um, and for their loved ones as well who want to know mm -hmm. how to intervene or how to help them with the after effects um, you know, I, there's a lot of talk that I have with people who have left in the support group or guests on the podcast or in my counseling office where I think, uh, I'm very happy for them as I'm happy for you that you get to feel like you're understood because I remember at the beginning of my work doing this, most people would say, oh, what is it called? They had no idea what mm. it was. And then there were an equal number of people who would say, oh, they don't exist. Mm. Um, that's just sort of a fabrication or that's uh, a paranoid thought that there are these things called cults or that they only existed in this very extreme form like Jonestown. Mm. And there mm. wasn't this sense that you could be dressed potentially a little like other people, be in the world, uh, going to school, not living mm -hmm. on a compound, and still right. be in a cult. Now, have you noticed or come across where cult, the word cult, because it's such a, uh, when I use the word cult, I feel like I use it pretty broadly. Mm -hmm. But do you find that there many people view that word very differently? 
Yeah. So what's interesting is that um, there are a lot of cults that will define what a cult is. Um, mm. They give their mm. own definition so that it's not that. Right. It's not them. Right. <laughs> so they craft their own. Uh, and that is, you know, I think if, I mean, people have said to me, you know, I went to this group and I didn't know if it was a cult. And in the first meeting they said, and this is why we're not a cult. And I thought, well, okay, why uh. are they... Why are they saying right. that? Like yeah. I, if someone comes to see me in my office, I say, let me tell you why I'm not a cult. Why would that even cross my mind? I'm so not. But uh, so I will often tell people that means they're a cult. Um, but the definition is sometimes different for different people. And it, and it has become, I think, much more sophisticated because it used to be that a cult was just a group of people who had bizarre ideas, like mm. they were just out there. And so then people understood why people within mainstream society or mainstream religious society would be against cults because their ideas were so strange. It's really not about the ideas and mm. it's not about the theology or the philosophy. It's about the nature of the control relationship between the leader and the followers. And mm. so I have my own sort of definition with, you know, uh, a checklist, which I've, yeah. I, I've given to people when they're not sure if they're in something that might be mm. dangerous, I'll hand them the checklist and say, check these off your, see if you see them and check them off yourself. Yeah. Um, and when they come back all like 10 out of 10, <laughs> whatever You're it right. is, like, mm, yeah, things so. <laughs> um, but I think if you wanted to hear sort of what my sense was of how I define a cult, I'm happy to go through my my little checklist. yeah oh I would love to hear yes absolutely okay so one of the things is that there is unquestioning devotion to the leadership and to the teachings that they are perfect and you can't disagree if you do then you you'll be punished or you'll be demoted or you'll be ostracized or you'll be seen as sinful, something's going to be wrong mm -hmm. with you because there is this um, sacred nature to the leader and to the teachings, and it's uh, inarguable. Then, mm. So then you really sort of suspend your critical thinking, and you suspend disbelief. Then you have um, a group of people where there's a lot of secrecy. Mm. You don't or you're not supposed to share all the things that you've learned or the, the way you've been treated or, um, I mean, there's so much that a, a cult leader really is a nefarious kind of person mm. wants to keep secret. So they'll find a way to stay in the shadows and have the teachings and the, you know, the different um, things that happen day to day in a cult um, out of the public eye. So mm. you don't have freedom of speech, basically. A cult also is something that is your life. So it's not that you have a job or go to church and then you also are involved in this. Mm. It permeates every facet, dictates every facet, the relationships you have, um, the work that you do, how you feel about yourself, all of it, mm. all of it, all of yeah. it. Um, and takes all of your resources because of that mm. too. You need to somehow give back to this group that is giving you everything, even though really they're taking so much away, but you don't realize it. Right. Then you have a group that is usually not part of a larger group. So they act independently and whether it's religious or otherwise or psychological, they're 
isn't a governing body that oversees your organization where you could go to, let's say, a board if mm. and, and complain and and get some sort of justice or call um, call out the leader to someone who is higher up than them because nobody is higher up than them. So you are at their mercy. You you don't. There's no system of checks and balances. No oversight. And then um, there is also this need to keep everything in house. So if you're having a problem, you go to someone within the group. You don't mm-hmm. go to a therapist outside. You don't talk to your school counselor. You don't talk to the neighbors. You don't you don't go and complain or share what's been happening to you. There's usually a system where you go to someone in-house who will follow the directives of the leader to respond to you in a way that's going to keep you in line as opposed to really offering you the support that you need. Um and it's a place where you're not really allowed to have negative feelings because usually a leader of a cult can't tolerate it because they mm. need to be adored and they need to know that they are a gift to the world. So <laughs> if you are unhappy, if you're angry, if you have been abused, neglected, um, and you're upset about it and naturally upset about it, you're deemed as being trouble as not getting it, um, not opening your heart to this. And so people learn to be very critical of themselves in their very natural responses to being mistreated. Wow. So there are others, but that's sort of basic right. conceptualization and why it's different from mainstream religions or self-help groups in general. And, um, and also um, a lot of ones where there are kids Kids are not really treated like kids in a lot of these groups. They have to sit for long periods of time. They are held to the same standard. They can't make mistakes, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, just like with adults. Um, They need to memorize what they're Mm. supposed to memorize. Um, And so their head is filled with so much that they've been taught to, um, to have to focus on as opposed to developing an individual Mm. self. Wow. Isn't that true? That just, (laughs) I'm just, I'm not, I'm not taking this as a personal therapy session at all. I'm just taking notes for no reason. For Uh, other people. Yeah. For all the other people. This Mm -hmm. is good. Yes. Oh my goodness. I, okay. What you just said, I'm just really like soaking that in right there because it's just really, wow. Resonates with me a lot. Because I, you know, I just always thought all my thoughts were normal and every kid is thinking this way. And, you know, now that I'm digging deeper with good therapy and such, it's like, oh, wait, (laughs) that's not normal. And but I what you said about being your own person is such a huge thing. And my husband and I are dealing with that or have been the last like three ish years of doing some really intense therapy. And we've been married for 21, 22 years and 22 years now. And, but we're raised in that environment where you never were your own person and you went Mm. from your parents' home directly to being married and you never developed your own personality. Your own, your, I, I'm still learning what I like. Like my therapist Mm -hmm. like, well, what do you like to, I don't know. Like I just, (laughs) it's really, it's a challenge and it's, it's crazy to think that that still stems, you know, at 42 years old from childhood stuff that never, I haven't, you know, processed properly yet at this point. And 
So figuring that out has been very interesting as an adult mm-hmm. and then raising children at the same time, like, okay, wait, how can I prevent them from having as many issues as I do? Because <laughs> I would love for them not to have to do as much therapy as I am. Um, get right. it over while they're young. But uh, right. I mean, right. I think everyone always needs it. But that's just very... I love what you just said there, though, that it just makes so much sense to me. Yeah. And I think, you know, what's also tied in with that, for example, as a 40 year old or whatever year old, if you're asked a question and you don't know the answer um, there, it's not just sort of a simple thing like I need to figure out what I like. It is, do I have the right to have my likes? Mm. Am I being forceful? Am I being pushy? Am I being unfeminine? Am I, um, am I um, sort of coming across in a way that might seem full of pride? It's sort yeah. of there, there's a lot that limits people from being able to just say, "Yeah, I want to see this movie instead of that movie," without having what feels like a heart attack. Um, yes, and I think people don't realize how much people have to push through when they have been taught to be acquiescent and, e- and mm. kind of user-friendly right. and not have their own opinions. Yes, that is so, so true. And it is, it's like, because we have these inner demons, if you want to call them that, that it's like, like I've always had the, these voices and it's like a judgmental, guilt-ridden thing that's just like, well, if I say what movie I want to watch, what if that person, I'm always thinking about how to make everyone else happy. And and part of that is, you know, personality. But Mm -hmm. a lot of it has to do with being raised in that kind of environment where, first of all, you didn't really ever have your own opinions. You're being told what you think and what to believe. And like you were talking about the memorization and stuff like that. It's like, oh my gosh, yes. And you never really had the ability to create your own mm-hmm. thoughts even, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I think that's why they were so like skewed when I think about like my childhood memories and thoughts, but, um, but yeah. So now even as an adult to say something, I'm always like, well, Oh, I'm going to feel really bad if they want to, it's like, Oh my gosh, just say what you, what you feel or what you want. And if their opinion is different, great. Like that, it doesn't matter. And that's been something actually, uh, in the last couple of years that has been a huge learning curve and like awesome thing for me has been having friendships with, um, cause I would say really in the last couple of years is when I really created adult rape friendships that I feel like are, uh, this more deep, intimate friendships and relationships where, you know, we grew up in this group of people where you were surrounded with the same people all the time. And people be like, that's so cool. You guys are such a close group, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, we had such superficial relationships Mm -hmm. because you were constantly afraid of saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing, or someone would find out this, or, you know, like you were talking about secrecy so much that in the last couple of years, it's been so neat to see, um, to have friends that we are, completely different backgrounds, completely different beliefs. And it's okay. And we can like sit there and have these discussions and I could say, Oh, okay. I never thought of it that way. I don't agree, but cool. And it's amazing as an adult, like this freedom of feeling like, Oh, because I would always, I'm, you know, so defensive about everything. And I think it's just being raised in that, like, well, we're right and you're wrong environment. And so it's been so cool to like have actual conversations where 
even arguments, you know, and it's okay. It's like, oh, we're discussing a whatever subject and it's okay that we have different opinions. I love it. I think like that's been one of the coolest things is having yeah. these relationships and abilities to have real conversation. Cause I've never done that. Never. Like it's right? so foreign. And, and so it's been really cool. Gonna, oh, it's so, it's so nice to see it when people get to have this sense that they got to test that out. They got to mm. test out this theory that maybe the world isn't as scary of a place as it was painted by yeah. people within the group that maybe I can actually be accepted and acceptable right. in whatever form I come in. And I don't have to change. I don't have to be a chameleon in order mm -hmm. to be respected and liked. Yes. And that oh. happens much more in the world than it will ever happen in a cult, even though a cult will tell you that you'll be rejected by the world. Well, no, you'll be rejected right. a lot quicker in a cult if you just do something different or just decide not to believe. But I think the other thing with just making a decision about where you go for dinner or whatever else, yeah, the consequences aren't so great. Yeah. If it didn't work out well. That's the other thing mm. that I think within a, a controlled system, if you did the wrong thing, there would, oh, it's such an ordeal and right. everyone knows and there's shame yes. and humiliation and it drags on and that becomes part of your reputation for kind of ever. And, yes. and outside, if you picked a movie that your partner didn't like and, and if Okay, because um, right. it's going to happen that they're going to pick a movie that you're going to hate and right. know, find every excuse to visit the bathroom yeah. a million times. Um, oh, I have to make a call. Like, hmm. right. uh, <laughs> but also, if in the world outside, if you are with a partner who can't let you forget and won't forgive you for picking the wrong movie, mm. that's a partner you don't want to be with. Um, right. It's not like that's the world. That's actually right. information for you that's important about who's healthy, who's yeah. going to allow you to just be human, basically. Mm. Yes, that's a super good point. And it's so true. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And that even brings me to like, when you're talking about even like how you define cults, I've heard many people talk about like the cult of two or the, the family cult where it's really, I mean, and you could put whatever label on it, but it's those relationships more than a large group. Like you're saying, you know, the mm -hmm. common thing is to think of these really crazy extreme groups where it could just be like a family dynamic and relationships and the danger there. And like you were just saying, that made me think of it because of being aware in any relationship, whether it's partner, or whatever, kind of like, eh, is this a good relationship or not? And, you know, I, I'm not sure I want to be a part of this and being right. wise enough to see that. Yeah. And you're right. I mean, I, when I was sort of growing up in this field, um, and I say that just because I got into it when I was 21, so I was a mm -hmm. you know mere babe in the woods. Uh, but, um, but what I think is important is um, that there are these things that we had called one-on-one -on -one cults. I'm sure they're mm. cult of two or whatever else. It's yeah, really to highlight that that. It doesn't have to have hundreds of thousands of members. It doesn't even have to have 20 because it really mm. is in the control between people. Someone coming in and saying, I have the right somehow to dictate mm. to you how you should be living. And I'm right about everything. And you need to listen to me or else. Um, and I'm also going to strip you of your confidence 
to live your own life without my guidance. Mm, and yep. that's also part of that one-on-one or cult of two. Where yes. People really, they, they develop this unfortunate way because we can sometimes do this if we are good, I think, caring, wanting to be good people kind of humans, that we learn to gaslight ourselves when we are gaslit, that we integrate the messages like, oh, this must have happened because I didn't, you know, I didn't try hard enough or I didn't do it well enough or I'm not a good enough person to deserve this. Like you, they call them these negative interjects that you've absorbed Mm -hmm. and now you say them to yourself. So just having to dispel the mythology and say, no, that's actually not true. I'm not that person. I'm not incapable. I didn't deserve bad things. Or I don't deserve bad things because I left. That's the other yes. Thing. And yes. you have to do a lot of talking to yourself, I think. Yeah. And and it's it's interesting because it took me I've been, we've been out, let's see, eleven or twelve years now. And it's really just been the last couple of years where I've really I mean, I've known I've had issues with it. But it's really been the last couple of years where I've gotten real help and am currently doing that. And it took a really long time to understand. I think part of it is just because you don't, you just leave, you don't instantly have your own personality and your own thoughts and everything's great. It's a huge process of unlearning. Like for us, you know, we had to dress a certain way. And so you're constantly trying to figure out what's okay, what's not okay. Like, and everyone else was wrong. Like churches were wrong everything else was wrong. So it was really hard to figure out like holidays were wrong. Like I remember it probably took three or four years and we got this cute little two foot Christmas tree in our living room finally. And, but it was really hard to figure out because you did feel guilty. Everything, every time I would put on a pair of pants, you know, this guilt and shame of, and then if something bad did happen, it's like, well, it's because I was wearing pants, you know? And so it's, the it took a, I mean, it's still happening. It takes a long time to get out of that mindset of just what's been your life basically. And what you've told is right or wrong. And then kind of like undoing all of that, that we, (laughs) that we were taught. It's a process. It's huge. Yeah, it is. It is really huge. And the fact that people learn Um, when they're in an environment where they've been made again, feel so aware of everything they do and the consequences of it, Mm. both positive and negative, that somehow they have to keep themselves in check that then if they know they're living a life that is different from what the leader wanted of them or their family who might still be in it, it is very easy to make connections between things that aren't connected Mm. in the negative Mm. that, it's this confirmation bias that you learn that, oh, I must have gotten into a fender bender because I got this two foot Christmas tree. Right. Uh, and you want to make sure that yes. you don't do that to yourself because in the world outside, there is randomness. And in a cult, there isn't. Everything is for a reason. Everything is a lesson. Everything is a punishment or a reward. Mm. But outside, things just happen. I remember I, I have a, I grew up in a synagogue where my rabbi would say, nature doesn't have a conscience. Mm. If a tornado knocks down your neighbor's home and not yours, it's not because they're bad people. Mm. It's just because nature exists around us and right. we li- we live we're living our lives. Nature is doing its thing and it's not because of something mm. you did or didn't do. 
I love that. Now, will you talk a little bit about what got you into this field? I know you said you just, you started when you were really young. Uh, did you have a background with cold experience or did this just, you know, fascinate you? How, what made you kind of go this direction in your, in your therapy? <laughs> right. Cause it's not typical. I think. About right. Especially it, that long ago. Right. Yeah, exactly. So in the, uh, let's see. I'm a lot younger than my siblings. So they were already kind of teens and I was young um, and young adults. One of my siblings got connected with someone who was involved in Scientology mm. and we had never heard of it. Mm. And at the time before the internet, um, the only cult related books you could find were often ones written by cult leaders. Oh, <laughs> so sure. That wasn't helpful <laughs> or objective. Um, so you could get Dianetics, let's say, but how did that teach you about the dangers of Scientology? It didn't. So right. um, we didn't quite know what to do, but it became dinner table conversation because mm. of how insidious we could see it being and how it was right there under people's noses that people were going to be taken away from their life. They're mm. going to be plucked from a college campus or a high school campus. They were going to be taken out of their families. Um, and so this friend, I remember, um, was a new friend to my one of my siblings. And so she didn't really know her all that well, but, but this friend was doing some active recruiting. Mm. And so that's why they became quote, sort of fast, quote unquote, friends. <clears throat> or at least my, my sister thought that they were. And then um, she said she's never been happier. And my sister didn't really know her life outside of school. Mm. Um, so she didn't know that none of this was true. But she said, mm -hmm. I get along better now with my mom and dad than I ever have before. And my life is so good. And um, the friend was saying this. The friend was saying Ugh. this. Yeah. And it's going to be amazing. And now I have a sense of meaning and purpose. And so, um, my, one of my parents who was m more into just being automatically kind of punitive, you know, you can't mm. go back. This isn't okay. That doesn't work for teenagers at all. Right. <laughs> that's like, mm, this is delicious. Thank you for like the push to get more involved. Um, right. and, and so my other parent who I, I try to channel as much as possible in terms of the way he dealt with things and dealt with kids is he said, okay, so we actually don't know a lot about this. Can we call your friend's parents and mm. find out if this really has been a good thing? Uh, if it is, fine. We'll, we'll try to be okay with it. And when they called the friend's parents, the friend's parents said, where, where did you see our daughter? Mm. And it was like this chilling moment where she had been told to move away, to move out of her home. She was living with other Scientologists in some flea-infested place in downtown LA. Uh. And this was the way she was getting along better with her parents. And it was so startling. It even startled my sister. But it was wow. this really, like we got goosebumps. <laughs> and mm. we thought, what is this thing that's out there that can really wow. derail somebody's life? but be posing as a church or be posing as a right. self-help group or whatever else. Um, so I think it, it mattered to us in terms of 
um, family connection that people mm. really could be taken away and be given a whole new family. Um, and a family also that didn't really love them and it was all very conditional. And mm. so they're forfeiting something real for something fake. Uh, right. And it, it can really set you up for a bad existence. Um, yeah. And so then I heard about different front names that were used for different cultic groups. And then when I went off to college, I saw them. And that uh. was the most bizarre thing because you start to wonder like, okay, maybe my parents are being a little paranoid and we're talking about this a lot. And, and I remember going to the student union and there they were. These wow. groups under these front names like Campus Advance, which was a group that was going to actually tell you to leave school. Um, the school was giving them a room to meet on campus and all these other groups. And I thought, oh, wow, this is actually wow. happening. So that pr kind of propelled me as a, kind of a, as I was forming into adulthood to realize that this is a human rights issue that people can be taken over and be told what their value is based on how much they sacrifice for other people or they're willing to tolerate or the abuse they're willing to tolerate. Um, wow. And people just won't know. Um and then when I was studying, I went on to study psychology. Of course, it's, it was fascinating to me psychologically. But to make this long answer longer, um, yes, I just please. will finish by saying <laughs> no, I love that it. I realized I care about, and part of the reason that I started the podcast is I care about this issue in a micro and in a macro way. Mm. So the micro is the, how do I help people get free? Mm. How do I understand the human mind too and what makes us vulnerable? How do I understand the leader and what makes them tick? And how do we watch out for and understand what to look for to find those people who we need to actually avoid at all costs and not be drawn in by their charm and their charisma? And, um, and then the macro is being the descendants of Holocaust survivors, where you can see the danger of groupthink and mm. where it can go and where it can lead and where a political landscape can take you that uses the same techniques that are used in a cult. And that's why I really wanted people to understand how, how manipulation is so far reaching, but how to detect it so that you can find your way around it and not succumb to it. Oh my gosh. That is, that's, that's awesome. And it's so great that too, at such a young age, you like figured out this is what you want to do. It just, it's so interesting. I, because like you said, back before the internet and all these things, there just wasn't much out there. I'm sure. Cause I even think back like 15 years ago when we, we adopted our kids. And so 15 years ago is when we adopted our son, finding information on adoption, like that Ooh. was a weird thing. And we had the internet, but it was so minimal and there just wasn't a lot of information. And now, like if I have people reaching out asking like where to contact, I'm like, I don't even know because there's so many options now mm -hmm. and there's just so much more information out there. And I think like you mentioned the podcast, podcasts have been amazing to me for me in like many aspects of my healing journey and just entertainment as well. Mm -hmm. But there is so much, even my therapist will say it's like free therapy. Like there's some really good shows. And I think you do have to be careful because people can say whatever they want to say on them. And so, uh, oh, yeah. you know, to take it all 
just as as what it is, I guess. But but there are some fabulous, fabulous therapists and stuff that do like you have these podcasts that are so great information. And I do think like all people reaching out that can't afford therapy. And I do I'm like, look up podcasts, find therapists, go look at their website, see who they are. And if it all seems legit, like listen to their podcast. And I, I mean, I recommend that all the time because there's just so much good information right at our fingertips that we can just have whenever we want. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it really, it's a treasure trove and it, and people are very lucky to be able to have access yes. to it. Um, and it, it, there's so many different permutations, like there, it's some that are from a religious point of view and others that are more for political, whatever it is, mm-hmm. you can find your space in yes. the, you know, podcast landscape. Um I, the only thing that I want to caution people about, um, which is probably already an obvious point, is that there are some people who hmm, who will make blanket statements, mm-hmm. and which I, I, I have a hard time with just in general, but they will mm-hmm. say, you know, this, this is what a cult is, but also these are cults and these are not. And mm-hmm. with this sort of being too sure... <laughs> Like it feels too culty. Right. Uh, And I think sometimes people within cultic groups will leave and be looking for the next person to Mm. just sort of hook themselves onto. Yes. Who will tell them what's real and what's not, what's true, what's not, and who will answer all the questions exactly. And I I want people to be wary of someone who comes across in such a very sure and polished way because that can be its own kind of cultiness, even if it's anti-cult, because that means that the person running it has the narcissistic qualities that Mm -hmm. you want to actually be wary of. Um, because they're kind of enjoying having this following as opposed to being a resource right. know, in, in that more kind of humble way, the, you know, uh, a resource. Like I, that's why my, my podcast, I went back and forth. Should I have my name on it? Should I not? And I realized it's not about me mm. because it's not about my life. It's not it, unlike what you have, which is about your kids and your life and your history. Right. Whatever, it's about you. Yeah, but for me, it re- I wanted to be more of a kind of a conduit for other people to tell their stories and other people to get educated. Then the other thing to watch out for is that there have been a lot of people who have contacted me who have been on other podcasts before they were ready. Um, oh yeah, they were really kind of pushed to reveal a lot. Mm-hmm. They felt like they had to be um, a good and willing participant in this because they had said yes, and because of their background of feeling like yes. they had to do Please things, yeah, um, they weren't ready, and they shared too much, and now they're not quite sure what to do with that. So if you get a feeling like someone's pushing you to share something too soon or it's too much and it's not for your benefit anymore. It's for theirs or to get more listeners. I would end it right there and, and say, okay, I think we need to hold off on the rest of this. I'm not feeling comfortable because once you've made a commitment to something, if it ends up feeling uncomfortable or hurting you, you don't have to continue with it. Um, it's all absolutely. Yes. And I've actually had that happen, um, on some, guests that I've invited one, even they're very young, but they, I ended up kind of stopping it and saying, yeah, let's wait until you're a little further on in this, not realizing quite where they were at. And then I've done a couple of interviews with, um, one individual from, 
um, children of God cult. She was on a documentary and I interviewed her and she was fabulous, but she was really concerned with just being uncomfortable and nervous and like, and so I just, for being on the host side of things, I just make it as comfortable as I can. And I'm like, if you decide you do not want me to even air this episode, I won't like it's, it doesn't matter. It's not a waste of my time for me. It's Mm -hmm. about the story. Mm -hmm. And and because I do know how healing it is to talk about your story. Once you're in a good place for it, I, I want that platform for people, but at the same time, I don't want it to be about the notoriety or the money or whatever. It's um, like, I even make money at this, but you know, it's about the person. And if someone feels uncomfortable about it, I am never, I do not want to do that. And so anyway, she was like, you just being that way and saying that made it more comfortable for me. And she said, I, it's the best interview I've ever done as far as feeling comfortable just because of how you approached it. And I'm like, okay, good. Like, yay, I am. But, but I, I think too, I have that sensitivity from Mm -hmm. my background Mm -hmm. of being able to relate a little bit with some of these people or some of the guests that I want to be conscious of that. I don't want it to be just about me, you know? And, and again, like you said, my podcast is, it does very much tie into my story and relate all my interviews relate to me and somehow, but, um, but to me it is, it's for my guests, you know, I love hearing and for the listeners, like there's so much valuable, even what you've just shared so far, there's so much valuable information for other people. And that really has been my purpose is to try to get some of this, healing things that have helped me so much and try to get them to other people. But I, I'm so glad you bring up that point about podcasts though, because it is a, it's a sketchy world out there. And I think you have people claiming to be, um, whatever they want to be because it's their podcast and you can literally get on and have a podcast whenever you would like to. So you do have to be cautious. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. This what you're listening to. I I get um, media requests almost daily and Mm. um, a lot of them are for me to be on and then whatever, it goes somewhere or it doesn't, but a lot of them are also for me to get in contact with clients I have or former clients to see if they want to tell their story on some show. Now, Mm. I'm not going to be doing that because I'm not going to 
be putting people under that kind of pressure. They might feel like they have to say yes because their therapist is asking them to do it. People right. also who I used to work with, they might not want to go back into that mind and the the memories. They might be happy not thinking about it. So I'm, I, I often say no to these things. But I have talked to people at times and said, listen, if this is something you want to do, because people have sometimes said to me, I feel like I'm ready to tell my story. And I'll ask if that was their own thought or if someone's kind of bugging them, like, when are you mm. going to be ready? So I'll need to find out where that came from. But um, I, uh, there's something kind of interesting that shocks people, I think just even in the general population, but that just because you're asked a question doesn't mean you have to answer it. Um, and so this is just, I think, good advice for anyone yeah. that there are going to be people who are going to be interested in your story for the right reasons and some not f for the right reasons. Like you right. get this visual, almost you can picture them just like eating popcorn and like waiting for your next word. Yes. And that is, that's not the vibe that you want to be getting from the person you're listening to because it's for entertainment. It's not because they really care. So if you're noticing they're too into it in some weird salacious way, just say, well, you know what? It, it's fine. Anyway, have a good yeah, day, you know, right. and, just, and there and take care of yourself along the way. Is that sort of basically the message. And I'm wondering for you, just with all the talking that you're doing about it, has it been helpful or are there times that it's been kind of overwhelming? Like you feel like you're talking about it a lot. I think for me, I feel like it's been very helpful, but I'm a talker. And I think because I have held in so much of it for so mm. long, I'm mm. happy to talk about it. But at the same time, I do have to like be a little cautious on what have I worked through? What have I not worked through? And so I am careful about what parts of my story I share, I would say. But for the most part, I'm a pretty open book because I do feel like it's very been very healing for me to talk about it. But I don't think it's that way for everyone because there are people that talking is not their thing and they need to journal or, you know, in some other way or even just with a therapist verbalize things. But mm -hmm. for me, it has been it's been very healing. But Definitely. I like what you said about that, though, as far as if someone asks a question, you don't have to answer because that is that's very good advice. And I think I'm going to add that somehow to my podcast guest lineup thing, because I I do want people to feel that way. And the one th the one interview I was talking about earlier, she um, multiple times during our interview, she would say, actually, let's stop right there. Because I, I told her, whenever you decide you want, decide you shouldn't have said that, just stop. And then I'll know when to edit it out. And I did. I went back and edited everything out that she wanted to edit it out. But um, mm -hmm. kind of like that, like, okay, you asked that, but I didn't really want to answer it. Like she would start answering it. And so I like that where kind of upfront, like, Hey, if I ask something you don't want to answer, you don't have to. I like that a lot. And it's true. in um, whether it's on a podcast, whether you're on a date, yeah. <laughs> whether you're at a PTA meeting, yes. um, I, or when, if you're doing major media, cause mm. I remember learning that you, before you do major media, you think of, let's say the three points you really think are the most important that you want to get across in the short amount of time you're going to have. And even if the person asks you a question, if it feels like that's just sort of interesting to them, um, or it's going to paint the former members in kind of um, a bad light if you okay. go down that road, then 
I, I remember I was on Larry King and I didn't oh, answer gosh. his question. <laughs> Not uh. that he was a bad guy. Actually, we had a funny interaction in makeup ahead of time. It was in CNN. And uh. I had my eyes closed because they were doing, um, uh, what is it, like spraying all this like airbrushing, oh, you know, airbrushing okay. makeup, which oh, is very fancy. unpleasant and yeah. cold. <laughs> um, but, so I had my eyes closed and I didn't know he'd just, he had sat down in the seat next to me in makeup. So I opened my eyes and Larry King sitting next to oh, me. Oh, wow. And there's quiet because I'm like, I'm not going to go, hey, Larry. And, right. um, and suddenly he goes, you're Rachel. I said, yeah, I'm wow. Rachel. And he said, huh, like that. I just made that sound. And there was quiet again. And then he, they finished him and he goes, huh, two Jews getting their makeup done. See you in the studio. <laughs> wow. Oh, my God. And I thought, wow, I'm never going to forget that. No, uh, never. And I haven't because he just sort of was very relaxed. It actually made me very relaxed, which is That's very nice. great. But he asked a question. It was actually about the children of God. He had people okay. who were former members of it. And he wanted to talk to me about my work with them. And he was very, I mean, it's hard not to be focused on sex when you're talking about the children right. of God. But there's more to the story. And he just kept coming back to it. And I just said, oh, I hear how much interest there is in this. And yeah, that that is something that would be good to really get into. What I want to make sure to mention is, and I just had it be mm. about the abuse and the emotional neglect and like broadening right. the story, not just about how many times people had sex. Like, yeah, we can talk about that. But is that right. really what's most important here? And I I, as I'm answering, I'm thinking, oh, I'm not answering his question, but I, I thought I need to, I need to use this time mm. for, for the people I'm doing it for as best as possible. And so you even have the right to change the narrative, even if it's, you know, Larry King. television. Yeah. Wow. Well, good for you for sticking to that. And obviously you're very good at your job. And so, you know, you're protecting your clients or yeah. yeah. And I love what you were just saying, even about children of God and broadening it aside from just the sex, because same thing when I interviewed um, her, she really brought that about. And it was good for me to hear because same thing you hear, you know, you hear the worst of the worst about some of these cults and, and rightfully so like, it's awful, awful stuff. And I think it's important for people to know that that kind of thing goes on and what, you know, maybe it, what can lead to that, I guess. But she was so good about bringing it back to, like you just said, the emotional abuse, the mental abuse, all of these other, the neglect, all this other abuse aside from the sexual abuse, that was such a huge part of it. And it was so good for me to hear that from her because she even had said uh, that she, that the sexual abuse was the easiest to recover from versus mm -hmm. the mental and the emotional abuse. And I was just like, it blew me away because you just think like, oh, sexual or physical abuse is kind of the worst of the abuse. And I mean, they all are. It's not to like downplay one over the other, but I it really hit me because I was just like, wow. And I think for so many years, like my whole life, I've downplayed my abuse as well. I don't know that I was actually sexually, and I've downplayed it as 
that people mm. have it so much worse and I should be fine. Like my life was pretty happy. And when she said that, it really hit me like, oh, wow, that is so interesting. And it really kind of validated like, oh, okay, all of our abuses are abuse, you know, and, right. you know, we may view one more extreme than the other, but uh, abuse is abuse and trauma right. is trauma. And I just love that you brought that up too, because that was so powerful when she had said that. I just was like, oh my gosh, this is right crazy. It's, yeah. It's an interesting thing, right? You can't really compare trauma. I mean, it's not a competition. Yeah. Right. Um, oh God. Yeah. And it can feel that way because you can then say, well, I didn't go through nearly what they went through, so I shouldn't really be so upset and I shouldn't be right. quote, complaining. Yep. But everyone has their different experiences and different wiring. So sometimes what might not impact another person really impacted you. Right. And so again, that's why you can't compare. Yeah. Um, and some people are able to let things go. Other people have it uh, in their subconscious for a lifetime. So again, you never know, but I, I know with the children of God and other groups like it, there, there are men who I worked with who were suicidal, mm. um, when they were in this group in part because they couldn't protect their sisters and their mothers. And you didn't like, let's talk about that. The whole social right. realm of feeling powerless to protect your loved ones. Ugh. I mean, there, yep. there's so much happening there. And also that the adults aren't doing anything to protect you. That also leaves oh. a sort of indelible mark. When I was doing, I, was, I work in school sometimes working with kids who have different kinds of needs. And I did a, a workshop with them on bullying. Mm. And what what has always stayed with me is this one kid who is bullied a lot. <clears throat> and he said, he had the courage to say this in front of people, which was amazing. And mm. the staff was there so they could learn from this too. He said, what was, what was hard of course, was being knocked down by this kid who had a big name at the school, like his parents mm. were big people at the school. So the kid wasn't given the same amount of consequence as the other kids. So he got away with things. So the bully got away with things. Mm. Um, and he said, yeah, I would get knocked down or tripped by this kid anytime I walked past him. But that wasn't even the hardest part. The hardest part was being on the ground and looking up and seeing people walk by. Mm. seeing the adults not come over and help see the oh. teachers be so used to this happening that they just said okay time to go inside mm. and and having the the bystanders not mm. intervene so yes. we felt abandoned by friends and by faculty like in those moments wow. if i just said what was your what was the bullying like what did he do to you if mm. i kept it small like that i wouldn't have heard the rest of the story about right. what really left him feeling really bad. My, I was bullied pretty bad in elementary school and just cause you know, we were different and yeah, but that those are some of the things I'm working through now that I think how weird, like I always have known I was bullied. Like it was, but real as an adult, like how much it affects like my parenting, like so many different things. It's mm -hmm. like, Oh my gosh. Like, yeah, it's very lasting. And it was all verbal abuse. I was never like physically abused as, as far as bullying goes. And so it's like, Whoa, those things like those stick with you forever. 
So it's so sad, you know, kids remember so much. So that is, that's so sad. They do remember so much and what they don't understand and what I think adults don't understand, because it's hard to remember how often this is true, that it really isn't about you. Yeah. 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 We, in terms of our evolution, are, um, are kind of made to notice what's different, Mm. what stands out. And there is a survival need for that. Like who is part of your pack and who suddenly showed up who you've never seen before. And what's wrong with this picture? Like what has Mm -hmm. happened that I need to attend to because something looks different. So when a kid comes to school looking different, Mm -hmm. there is this very primal need to kind of get rid of the thing that's Mm -hmm. different and have dominion and power over it out of survival and it's from, you know, millions of years of evolution it has zero to do with Shannon. Uh, but you just feel like yeah. it has everything to do with right. Shannon. Right. Very personal. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yes. Oh, that's so interesting. I love that though. I love, um, I don't, I, it was on one of your, a podcast you were on or, and I don't know if it was one of yours or not, but you talked about, um, and I don't, I wish I remember exactly, but like compassion over rules or rules versus Mm. compassion kind of. Mm. And I don't know if you can talk a little bit about that or remember at all, but I just remember that stood out and I'm, I loved it because I was like, Oh yeah, that's what was missing, missing compassion. It was Mm. all so rule driven, you know? Yeah. You know, it's sometimes some, some things that people have to learn when they come out of these environments, they have to learn empathy. They Mm -hmm. have to learn compassion in some cultic groups like Scientology has this, that if you go and assist somebody who has fallen, let's say, if you show compassion, you're weakening them. Mm -hmm. You're not letting them find a way to deal with their own negative, whatever's that usually body thetans or whatever Mm -hmm. they're made of that are affecting them. So by going and helping them, you're interfering Mm -hmm. with them having that kind of growth. So kids learn not to go over when a kid is crying or when someone needs them because they think they're going to be hurting them by doing it. It's so backward Mm. and they need to learn actually to say, are you okay? And a lot of, a lot of kids will have a sense that that's wrong. Like they'll know that their natural feeling is to go over and help. And, but they, the system has made Mm. them and the rules have made them feel like they can't. So there's also a um, kind of a way everything is presented and that there's a reason given for things. So you don't have to feel bad. If someone gets ill, it's because of something they did wrong. It's God's punishment. It, you then don't need to have the same amount of sympathy because this was all part of God's plan. There's uh, like a distancing, an emotional distancing that it, where you just have these equations in your mind that you, the go-to equations like, Oh, that's because they must've done something wrong. Right. Um, and as opposed to looking at that person, noticing the look on their face, noticing the tears, noticing that they're bleeding, whatever it yes. is and responding to that and forget the rules and forget what you were told about the reason why it doesn't matter why it matters that it matters wow. that they are suffering. And that's what you need to learn to respond to. But it's foreign in in cultic groups. Oh, that is so good for me to hear. Like even I'm just thinking parenting like this whole time because that is one I feel like I've really am continuing 
to have to learn that empathy because I do want to just kind of go the other direction of like, eh, I, I don't know. I can be very non, what's the opposite of compassion? Um, do you feel like non-compassionate you or, or, yeah, yes. Yeah. I kind of okay. can stand off and yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, but it's conscious, like I know, so I'll be, I'll be thinking in my thought, like, you know, if something happened to one of the girls and they stubbed their toe or whatever, and I'll be thinking like, eh, they're fine. They're fine. They're fine. Rather than that immediate. And it doesn't mean that I don't follow up and take care and make sure everything's okay. But my immediate is not, Oh my goodness. Are you okay? Let's look at it. I have to make myself like it is. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this is years and years of being out from, you know, trying to unlearn some of these things, but it is ingrained. Like I do. I, that's like, I think why that stood out so much whenever I heard you speaking about that is I, and I wrote it down compassion over rules because mm-hmm. like so important and especially for these little kiddos it's like they need that so much with all the you know attachment issues and everything we have going on it's like gosh they need that compassion so much and I feel like I'm a very compassionate person it's just I don't think I was I'm wired that way as far as like you know, mm-hmm. it's not my first go-to for sure. No, no, it's it's an interesting thing because sometimes uh, people talk about this when they're raised um, with parents who are in the military. Mm. So you're fine, you're fine is the right. response. You know? Yes. Um, and why are you crying? Um, yes. And so I think you want to move away from having this one way of looking at everyone and one way of looking mm. at everything, which is very which is more of a culty way. Yes. Again, a lot of people will say that there's uh, being in the military is not dissimilar. It's not a cult per se, but there are a lot of similarities. So that organization Um, and yeah. Right. Where you have to sort of be strong and be fine. And, um, and I think with kids, like I grow, you know, parenting and being on a lot of fields with like, soccer yeah. and other things, <laughs> yeah. and a lot of bleachers and benches. <laughs> uh, but you would sometimes see the kid who would be crying a lot and mm. the parent would say, you're fine. You're fine. But you could tell that it was personalized. Like they knew mm. what their child needed in that moment right. to be calmed. But the parent who uniformly no matter what said you're fine like they weren't Mm. even looking they didn't even know if their kid was fine right Um, that's often when those children would up their game in order just to get a response from the parents just to know that the parents noticed them and would um care so sometimes then parents will say oh my kid is always so needy and i'm thinking well maybe it's because you're not giving them what they need Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> I'm just already thinking about how often I'm going to be listening to this podcast. <laughs> uh, so, right. But I think case by case, moment by moment, does someone need something different from me? Yeah. Right. And noticing that, not just having this automatic shutdown or automatic response um, that's been trained. Yes. You, right. To say, let me see what's happening right in front of me. And what mm. I also know about that kid, as opposed to another kid, like, are they needing more of a kind of, of me just holding them and being reassuring? Um, or are they needing me to say, you're going to be okay? Because yes. they're just not sure of it. And I know they need more of like a boost than sympathy, but yes. again, person by person. The one other question I did have about kind of 
what, you know, your line of work, cause it's, it's very, obviously very, uh, interesting to me, but you, you, you've been on some documentaries. I know I saw you on one, uh, I don't remember the Nexium one, the, the seduced. Yes. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, seduced. I think I saw you on that mm-hmm. one. How, um, what was that experience like? Yeah, it's very, with all the different shows that I've been on, they're all different because they're, they're directed by different people and they're often about different kinds of groups. I was on this other one called Unwell about um, the whole world of wellness uh, and how much that's become kind of a billion dollar industry of pseudoscience um, and what people get away with within that, that mm. they shouldn't. Um, but with Seduced, it was very interesting because they, the the directors who I've become friends with, I, I, I became friends with them because I really respected the way they approached mm. this. They wanted to not have it be sensationalistic. Mm-hmm. And with a story like Nexium's, you can, oh, there's a ton of stuff you can make into something sensationalistic. It's, it, it's like wired for that. Uh, but instead they wanted to really show it with some sort of heart, but they asked if they could film my counseling sessions mm-hmm. with India Oxenberg, yeah. who had been in the group. And, you know, it's hard to have kind of a genuine counseling session where you have this boom mic in front of your face and you hear up cat i think the sun is we have to close the blinds like oh this is such a successful session (laughs) right it feels so genuine uh but what was nice though was that um we got to highlight the fact that when someone comes out just like you were saying at the beginning when someone comes out that's not the end of the story. Yeah. That's the beginning of the healing. Right. And so the sessions are the thing, the the conversations with the therapist or whoever you're working with, um, where you need to kind of go, what? Like, what? Ha- okay, I know I'm out of this thing, but what was this thing? What happened to me? And why did I go along with things? Why did I stay? Yes. Because I've done some, some talks and... Uh, about just answering that question, why did I stay? And so I think people are expected to be experts of, you know, on cults and their experience when they come out, but they're not. Um, so just learning what that was, and also then learning it so that you don't find yourself in similar situations, just because mm. we gravitate towards what's familiar a right. lot of times in our lives. And so people will go from out of the frying pan into the fire, out of a cult into a controlling relationship or something and find, oh, I know, right. I know how to, I know the role to play. I've been in this play before. I, I, oh, it feels so familiar. Um, And yeah, so being in documentaries has been really good. And I've had to be really cautious, even though they're interviewing me, I'm kind of interviewing them to see how they're going to approach it. And if it's a project that I want to be involved in. When you were back, or I think it was back when you were more in the beginning stages of your things, were you or you were um, like threatened by different groups and organizations, just because what was that about? Was it just because of you trying to help the ones that I've gotten out or why did they view you as such a threat? Right. So the, the, there've been a couple of different groups that have not been happy with me, even though my, my thing is not that I'm going on the attack. I'm just 
saying, this is what happens there. And so just be forewarned. I mean, make an educated decision now yes. if you want to get involved. Um, and I'm giving other people a platform to talk about their experience. Um, so, no, I don't have it out for different groups, but a lot of groups will see it that way because the leader sees it that way and the leader feels threatened because they want overall control and they have kept the lid on so much information on purpose. And now suddenly someone is sharing the behind the scenes info. And so now you're an enemy of the group rather than someone who's helping to protect the public. So, wow. Yeah. Scientology has been, well, I don't want to satisfy them by saying the following because they like when they've been a pain in the ass. So, um, <laughs> um, but they have been a thorn in my side and they, and they have this thing that they say they don't have, but they have it. And L. Ron Hubbard wrote about it and it's on audio that he talks about it, but mm. they're, they're like gaslighting central. So they'll say, Oh, never have. We don't do that. But they have this policy called fair game. And the fair game policy is where they can, according to L. Ron Hubbard, they can um, destroy you utterly with any means necessary. If you are deemed, I mean, there's those scary words. Mm -hmm. um, if you're seen as an enemy, so um, uh, I'm seen as what they call a PTS, which is a potential trouble source. Oh boy. Um, doesn't that sound really special? Yes, it's That's so charging? beautiful. Uh -huh. You have your own um, file drawer in their office. I do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I do. So, uh, I, in fact, sometimes when we're passing by Scientology Center, my, my kids will say, oh, let's go away. Let's go. I'm like, I think they're going to recognize right. me. Like, they'll be like, wah, 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 wah. like, they've got some security go systems well. that, yeah. <laughs> Exactly. We're not going to get in and out without anyone noticing. Uh, but, um, but actually I did actually bring my oldest to a meeting of a particular cultic group in LA when he was studying them for school Wow! and we brought the checklist and we were filling it out under the table oh my and he's God. filling it out and he's seeing all of the different techniques being used around him. And, wow. um, I wanted him to see in real time how this happens. What right. Um, but, um, Scientology. Yeah. I mean, here I was deciding, I just gotten my license and there had been a place in LA called the cult clinic, which is now no longer, it kind of succumbed to Scientology pressure to mm. have it shut down. Um, and, um, there was someone else who was against it. This guy, Tony Alamo, who had his oh, own compound, yes. Christian compound. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he was a big enemy of the cult clinic as well. Mm. Um, and so there were people out from his group and Scientology picketing and threatening. So it shut down. But um, I remember here I was young and I had a, a woman come to see me who said, I have just snuck out of a window of a building a couple of blocks from here. And I'm in the, um, the RPF, which I've come to learn is the Rehabilitation Project Force, which is like Scientology's gulag, it's punishment. Uh, and she snuck out and she was shaken. She was gaunt, pale, uh, malnourished, exhausted. Mm. She was bleeding from different, like she, she had been doing a lot of manual labor mm. and it, she had bruises and things that had gone untreated. And she said, can you help me? And I thought, oh my, wow, what is this? Uh, so I just 
um, offered her support and mm. wanted to let, she was also very afraid of going to see a therapist because she had been taught within Scientology that, you know, we're the worst of the worst because mm. L. Ron Hubbard had been evaluated by psychiatrists who saw him as having like antisocial personality mm. disorder and other issues. And he, he thought, and it's clever, unfortunately, that if you want to undermine someone's message about you, you have to undermine the messenger. So they don't believe the message. So he did this all out war against psychiatry that they'll, they are just out there trying to kill you and whatever. So he, so Scientologists have learned that psychiatrists and psychologists and other people are dangerous. Uh, so she was very fearful of talking to me. And I thought, well, my, my goal here is just to help her feel safe. Yeah. That there is no danger. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to be doing it. She needed, she, she could only meet with me if I kept my door open. She had been told that I would be locking her away. And um, so we kept the door open. Uh, but then when she went back, they grill you. I guess someone saw her coming back and they grilled her until she disclosed where she had gone and who she had talked to. So then uh -huh. I was fair game. Wow. And they sent people in to pose as clients, um, trying to get me to say things like, would I kidnap someone to get them out of a cult? And I uh -huh. wouldn't, but they, I think they were trying to catch me. Oh my gosh. And then I would get transcripts of the sessions and one that was chilling that had a handwritten note on the top that said, just to let you know, we're watching and listening. Oh. And I thought, this is a church and you're getting tax exempt status and you can cry religious persecution if someone is against you. Then they tried to get into my former cult member support group and then threatened to sue me for religious persecution because I wouldn't let them in. Um, but they were trying to spy on to see if there were other people from Scientology who were there. Oh, uh, but so I wouldn't let them in. And then they complained to my board and they had to do a full investigation. While they're complaining to my board, they also broke into my office, what? went through my client records. They posed as janitors. And I thought, what the hell is this? What is it? What am I dealing with? And ha I was followed by their henchmen, um, these discredited Los Angeles police officers uh, who they once they were discredited and fired, Scientology hired them. Oh. Um, and I had people following me, leaning on my car when I'd come out from work. Um, and I remember there was a good week that I didn't want to leave my house. Oh. And I was really terrified. And then I, going back to the idea of bullies, I heard my dad's voice, who had unfortunately passed when I was just 22. And But he he said, you I mean, unless you don't put yourself in danger, but if you can, yeah. don't let the bullies win. Uh, and so I gave myself a good week mm, and then went back to work, wow. which I think Scientology has never forgiven me for, that they couldn't scare me into moving away from this kind of work. Wow. And it's just continued. And they, they post things about me. They have hate sites online. They have their very ironically named Freedom Magazine online talking all about how I've lost my license and how I've disclosed client information. I never oh, talked to anyone from the magazine, so gosh. whatever. <sighs> but that's what they do. And you're like, wow, they get government protection um, and tax exemption. And I have no idea why that's still true, except they have people in high positions and they have deep pockets. So, but I think, you know, what you do in this field when you're known in this field is you have other people who've been through the same 
And so it's just like, oh, it must be Tuesday. Yeah. You know, we get a little. Oh my gosh, that's so sad. But yeah. But I had to, I, I didn't set up my website though. I remember when my kids were little mm. because I didn't want to be a presence and be out there and obvious again when I was worried about them. Yeah. And I only set up a website and started becoming public again about this work when they were old enough and I had a discussion with them and I said, there's, there's this group and there could be others where they might show up at our house and I need to know you guys are okay with it right. before, you know, I Ugh. proceed. And they actually they thought it was cool. Oh, wow. Which was right? cute because like, Ooh, that's awesome. <laughs> but it is a, yeah. But I had to have their buy-in because it was going to impact them. Right. You know? Yeah. I didn't even think uh, so about it's been, that. It's been interesting. But yay for you that you're still doing the work and you're helping so many people. For those of you that don't listen to Indoctrination, it's a great podcast. I love what you're doing. And I just... That's very sweet of you. I really do. And I'm so glad that we got connected. (laughs) I know. I know. I'm so... I feel really lucky about that. And I really... I, I love your sense of humor and I, I like how you go, can go back and forth between really showing so much depth and openness mm-hmm. and then just noticing life and all of its quirkiness and ironies and what's funny about it. Right. Um, and so that is really nice. And I think also just being able to have you be in this place in your life where you can express yourself in this way and wear what you want to wear, but also be funny. Mm, because, you know, that's not always afforded to people right. within cultic systems because that's yep. seen as frivolous. Yes. And I'm definitely making up for last time. So <laughs> I'm like, uh-huh. oh my goodness, there's social media now. I have options. <laughs> <laughs> oh my right, gosh. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's and it's hard fun. too because when you do social media, you open yourself up to I know. a lot of know, criticism whole- and. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. It's good oh, times. Yeah, I did it. One of my original podcast episodes was with this man who's a psychologist who grew up during apartheid in South Africa, and he talked about the long-term impact of that, um, and some of his childhood stories of befriending people who were African American and then being barred from them and not being able to go to townships to visit them, and being stopped by white police who told him he was never to go back to be with his friends. I mean, there's just a lot that he's been left with that was really startling to him. But in response to that show, I got a lot of um, reviews of my podcast and reviews of my professional work that were low because there were people who thought apartheid was great and they didn't like that I was having a show that might show that it was a problem because they kind of wish it was still happening. Mm. So they went after me professionally in terms of my rating, et cetera. And that's what happens. It becomes a forum, I think, sometimes for people just to be angry about something or something else, Um, but use you as this catalyst like or mm, have it directed at you. But again, it has nothing to do with you. Right. I know. Back to that. It's like, what's your problem? Why are you so angry? (laughs) It's so true, though. It really is. Right. And and it's hard. You can't take everything real personal. You know, it's people are just mean. It's a whole whole nother uh, level of bullying now that's available for people. Yeah, Mm. it's good. And it's good. I think you're being a great model for your kids, too, just in terms of 
sticking to a message that matters to you and um, no matter what, even if you get pushback or criticism, that this is what makes you happy. And this is also what sends out the information and lessons and, and messages that matter to your own psyche and to the world. And you're just going to keep on keeping on, which is fantastic. Well, thank you. I know it's, there are days it's hard, but overall it's so fun and I love it so much. So good. Well, great at it. Well, well, thank you very much. Uh, where can everyone find you Uh and be a follower Uh, of Rachel? (laughs) Right. You can ask Scientology. They'll always know where to find me. (laughs) Um, <laughs> oh, I love they it. always have my updated address um they have so, your phone number um, tapped everything they have my f- exactly <laughs> right they might even be standing out by my mom right Who knows? they're listening right now anyway. mm-hmm. they probably are anyway whatever i kind of don't care at this point so um where can people find me um so um i'm in los angeles okay. but i work with people all over the world and all over this you know, country and the, I do the support group online and the podcast, et cetera. My website is rachelbernsteintherapy.com. It's easy to remember. Mm -hmm. And then the indoctrination podcast on different platforms. Mm -hmm. And um, people can email me at bernsteinlmft at gmail. Um, And yeah, I'm on Twitter and TikTok and Instagram, Instagram and Facebook, et cetera, et cetera. So there are lots of ways, but if you want to be able to hear back from, if you want to write me a personal message and hear back, then email is probably the best. LMFT at Gmail. And I'm happy to respond. Perfect. And I'll put all that in the show notes. Everyone can find you. And just thanks so much for being on my show. And I feel very honored and just so excited to be able to talk to you. And again, I'll just, I'm so looking forward to editing this one because I'm just going to have my little notebook there, taking notes the whole time. And then I will listen to it like once a week for all the therapy tips that you just shared with me (laughs) free of charge. You know, I'm like, yes, soaking Uh it in. But thank you so much. It was quite an honor to have you. And I look forward to keeping in touch with you in the future. Great. Absolutely great. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you all for joining me for another episode of the Shanty Pant Show. I really appreciate you guys hanging out with me every week. You can find all of my links to all my social medias anything your heart desires at shantypantshow.com. You can even find my amazing merch is back up and running there. And you can email me from there. All the things, all the things. Also, you always ask, how can you help me out with this whole podcast situation? You can subscribe to my podcast. You can leave reviews. You can share it with friends. I appreciate it all. So I am super excited to bring you guys the rest of the season. It's going to be amazing. And I'll see you next week. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.